While there has been progress in recent years, the percentage of women working in the technology industry is still low, hovering around 20% of the total workforce. So it's clear that there's a lot more that needs to be done to address discrimination and bias in this sector. Welcome back to a special podcast episode from Ericsson. In this program, my colleague Anita Vesely hosted a panel of experts in social media for a live discussion about women in tech and what companies like Ericsson can do to bridge the gender gap. My name is Anita Vesely. I'm a director of social media and advocacy at Ericsson. This is the first Ericsson Chats. So if you would like to share any uh, content pieces or quotes from our amazing women speakers, then please use the hashtag Ericsson Chats and also hashtag women in tech hashtag break the bias and I promise I'm not going to say any more hashtags but um, what I started to say at the beginning that it is so important to talk about gender gap women in tech what are the challenges that uh, any of us are facing in the tech field what are the different biases and together with our allies how we can actually break this bias Well, before we jump in, uh, most probably you have known these three amazing women who decided, and thank you so much for accepting the invitation to join these spaces and host and start the discussion, is first of all, I will go with you, Diana. And Diana Adams is an Apple ACN and technology journalist. She has written thousands of technology articles over the 15 years. As the owner of a technology consultancy firm in Atlanta, She works in the technology field every day, helping clients with their digital transformation, cybersecurity, and machine learning. Thank you so much, Diana, and welcome. I'm really looking forward to so many of your great ideas and experiences. Thank you for inviting me today, Anita. Thank you. And next up, uh, Dr. Sally Eves, who is a chair of a global cyber trust Uh, at GF Cyber and CEO of Aspirational Futures, which enhances inclusion, sustainability, and diversity in education and technology. She has been described as a torchbearer for ethical tech, and she was an inaugural recipient of the UN Frontier Technology and Social Impact Award. A highly experienced CTO, professor, and global strategic advisor, Sally is passionate advocate for technology, innovation, benefiting business and society. She also a host of Tomorrow's Tech Today podcast. She's a keynote speaker, author and researcher covering all aspects of digital transformation alongside the importance of culture, skills and SDGs impacting change. And Sally, I'm not sure if I should, uh, I hope I can say this, that this year you're also going to have a new book coming out, which is Tech for Good, and it's coming out soon. So, so very welcome to this discussion, and I'm really honored that you are part of this. Oh, thank you so much. Great to be with you all, and thank you. Really looking forward to an amazing discussion today. Thank you. And last but not least... Our very own uh, Eva Hetforce, who is leading up Ericsson's digital, um, Ericsson's head of marketing and communication and digital services, leading a global team of marketing and communication professionals. In this role, she and her team are responsible for some of the most dynamic and innovative areas in the company's portfolio, including cloud-native 5G core, orchestration, and digital monetization systems. Eva is an 
ardent supporter of Ericsson's Technology for Good initiative, which uses internal expertise in new technologies, solutions, and advocacy to make life better around the world. Thank you so much, Eva, for taking the time to joining us and becoming a speaker. Thanks a lot, Anita. Great uh, to be talking to you, Sally and Diane, as well. And, and thank you for everyone who's listening in. It's looking, uh, looking really good. So glad to be here, Anita. Thank you so much. So um, before I get started with the questions, because I think this is why we are all here, uh, any feedback that you have to us on the, uh, the chats, on the Ericsson chats, any ideas that we would like to do in the future, please also just let us know in comments or tweet about it. But today I'm going to kick it off. And whoever you would like to join, you have a question to any of the speakers or the co-host, uh, please just let us know and I can bring you up as a speaker. If you would like to share your experience of voice, we also have that. Some of the safeguarding principles, you need to stay on topic if and be kind and respectful. We might have different views and that is okay. But if anyone is commenting or speaking and not being respectful, being off topic or self-promotional, I will remove that person from being a speaker. So those are kind of like the rules and the guidelines. I think it's, it's really important that it's a safe space to share and uh, that we can learn from each other. But now let's get into the questions. So my first question that I would really like to, to hear from, uh, from you, and maybe you can go first, uh, Diana, that what challenges do women face in this male-dominated field? How can women make sure that their voices are heard? Thank you, Anita. And before I get into answering this question, I just want to thank everyone for being here because I was I was going through the people who are here and I see some very dear friends. So thank you very much, Eva and Shalin, everyone for being here. Um, there are many challenges that, women's, uh, that women face in this male-dominated field. Um, and first of all, I'll just say the most obvious one for me is that there's clearly a lack of opportunity for advancement. And the reason I know that's the case is because that's why I started my company 20 years ago. I felt like the moment I had a baby, all of a sudden I wasn't taken seriously anymore. So I left my job and, and started my, my company. I thought, well, you know what, I'll just be an entrepreneur. But uh, another challenge, I think, is that oftentimes people in the tech industry just assume that men are more capable. And because of this, I think women have to prove themselves over and over again. But uh, on the highest level, I think the biggest challenge is with the overall culture, because you still hear people talk about how women can be more successful in the technology industry if they just learn how to fit in, you know, fit into the mold that society has created for us. And I've even heard people say, you have to think and behave like a man. And I disagree with all of that. I think instead of changing ourselves to fit into that mold, I think we should be talking about how to change that mold itself, right? How to, how to make some, some changes there. So, uh, yeah, those are my thoughts on challenges. Of course, I could go on and on, but I think those are, are the biggest ones for me. 
Thank you, Diana. Eva, what, what, what do you feel that, what are the biggest challenges? Yeah, I, I agree with uh, Diana that there, there are numerous of, of challenges that uh, we foresee or we see or we hear about every day, um, especially in a company like Ericsson, where we have um, colleagues in 180 countries. That also adds to the complexity, if you may, about what women are facing. And, and uh, uh, I, when, I, when I reflect upon some of the things that uh, I think we can improve or or you know you also asked a little bit about you know how can we make our voices heard as a woman right and i think that's just about it it's about being that voice because that voice matters uh, and it, it's something that i have learned through my years in tech and in in a male dominated field is that our voices matters and they help and they bring a perspective that we should be really really proud of and that actually helps our company to grow. It helps our customers to become better. And those are the things that I, I keep top of mind. If it sometimes feels a little bit overwhelming, um, if you feel like a minority or you're you know, faced with a few challenges, I've always thought that, well, my voice matters. And I think that is what's sort of helping me to, to drive a change and really feel passionate about this topic, but also about how we as um, members of a global organization can really help address these, uh, these uh, situations that women face uh, on a daily basis. Really great points, Eva. Um, I, I can just echo that. Um, Sally, I would like to, to hear your experience and, and some of your tips. Absolutely, absolutely. So I nearly got in too quickly there, didn't I? So some great points were mentioned already, which are, which are fantastic. So I'll just pick out some some other things as well. So I think visibility matters hugely. Um, so from leadership positions at the moment, it's less than a third of executive senior level management positions. If you look at the S&P 500, for example, actually held by women. And if you look at women in colour, it's less than 4% of senior leadership teams. So that is definitely a, a key challenge at the moment. And the visibility around that as well, I would say another thing that maybe we haven't mentioned so far that could be useful to co um, to talk about as well is perception gaps so before we even get into being in the tech industry itself things are stopping girls or women going into the field in the first place so we have these drop-off points so if you look at education pipelines for example so look, look at it around like the traditional stem focus um, at the equivalent of gcse so age 12 to 14 um, then at A-level, so say 16 to 18, then at university, if you actually take STEM subjects as a, as, as a girl or young woman, you then aren't applying them in the eventual career. So you've got these three drop-offs of, of people not looking to go into the field in the first place. So I think when we look at the chases we're, we're facing in the field at the moment, we also need to look at now, but looking ahead and what's stopping people from going to the field in the first place as well. And I love the point there about mentorship. And I think maybe we can come on to this a bit later as well, kind of moving beyond mentoring of others to active sponsors sponsorship as well, making our voices being heard, you know, putting forward for people when you see someone's a good fit for, for a great role on a panel or for a job opportunity as well. You know, being that active sponsor can make such a huge difference to someone in their role. So being that, yeah, that active role, I think is the next step in, in so many ways, kind of mentoring 4.0, as I call it. Thank you so much, Sally. And we have some other speakers uh, on the stage. Uh, would you like to join the conversation on anything that uh, we missed and you would like to share? Hi, I'm, I'm guessing it's Anita, right? Yes. 
I'm Sia, by the way. Hi, Diana. Hi, Dr. Sally and Ava. Um, I actually was just listening and I jumped in because I had set a reminder for this space because I wanted to come in and just kind of, uh, you know, be around uh, women who are discussing tech. And I am in tech. I'm an ID consultant. I'm a project manager, to be honest. But I wanted to resonate with what, you know, one, Diana was talking about, about being a mother and somehow it takes away points from you being um, somehow fully capable of handling a project. Uh, and uh, with Dr. Sally being a woman of color, and I'm a woman of color, uh, being able to actually get to the leadership positions. But I think that, um, one, I'd like to know what strategies have you all women, you know, on the, on the speaker's panel have implemented in uh, getting past or breaking that bias, one, and uh, two, I feel slowly that there's a shift because, you know, in some of my pre previous projects, you know, I was kind of bypassed, uh, even though, um, you know, clearly I was more experienced or had a better strategy of, you know, dealing with a specific solution at hand. Uh, I was bypassed for promotions and a lot of other things. But, you know, I, I've seen the movement, though, where, you know, I changed jobs and I changed, I, I aligned more with people in organizations that, you know, aligned with the women empowerment movement. So, um, you know, I've been blessed in that way where now I'm in projects where people see my potential and they say, well, you know, she's the best candidate, not whether you're a human or not, whether you're a man or a woman, it's more of you're the best candidate for the job. So I'm, I'm extremely pleased that, you know, we are in that, uh, you know, we are moving towards that, but I'd love to know some of this, you know, points from, you know, all, four of you ladies uh, as to how you overcame that or any pointers because you know I'm still quite early in my my um, journey in women in tech uh, maybe roughly nine years <laughs> but I feel like you know just knowing you know any obstacles that you guys had and you know you women how you were able to overcome that would greatly help me and I'm taking notes so I'd appreciate that thank you thank you so much for for joining the conversation and, and sharing your story and, and your experience any of our speakers would like to give some some tips that could be like really useful sure i can jump in here anita perfect um okay well first of all thank you for those questions and for all that you shared that is uh that's amazing nine years is a long time you may feel like you're at the beginning of your journey but uh, i remember about nine years into it and uh it felt like a long time but i think you touched on something that is so important and that is that you talked about now you're in an organization or you're on a team where people understand um, about the inclusion and, and um, how to make women's voices heard. And what I have noticed is that regardless of what the organization has, you know, states as their values and what's important to them, whatever the dominant opinions of the people working there seems to take over. So if it is a mostly male-dominated office, it kind of, the office itself, regardless of what the organization says, takes on the values of the majority of people. So I think it's so important uh, to keep that in mind. But you asked about what we do on a personal level to kind of combat the bias. And I have to tell you, after all these years of working in technology, one of my favorite things to do is to let people underestimate me. Because I can, when I'm standing in front of someone talking, you can almost see it in their face and hear it in their voice when that's happening, like in real time. So I love it when that happens, because then I let my actions and my skills speak for themselves. And it's like, boom, you know, and, it, and it's actually a lot of fun to do that. 
And another thing I do is I try to cut some people some slack. And other people on here might disagree with me about that, but I really try to cut people some slack when I, when I feel um, how their bias is coming in because I realize that that bias is a lot of times completely unconscious. You know, they don't mean anything by it. I know it's a matter of education and training. And um, I, I think in organizations, when the senior management sets a positive example, it goes a really, really long way. So I could, um, I could go on and on about this, but um, I just want to end with saying that I spend a lot of time working on machine learning projects. And whenever I'm working on those, it always makes me think that we really have to get a handle on this problem. Because if we don't, then the algorithms of the future will repeat this cycle because they will acquire the social biases by default, right? Think about that for a minute. I've tweeted about that so many times. So thank you again for popping in. And uh, I'll turn this over to someone else now. Yeah, thank you, Diana. And actually, that would have been my second question. <laughs> that how do you combat the bias? And I think what you made... Um, a, a really, really great point with, with artificial intelligence, with, the, with machine learning, that it is really crucial that the teams are diverse and we are not repeating and the built-in biases. But I would love to hear from you, Eva, that whenever, how do you combat the bias? Do you still feel it either in the company or in general in the tech industry? And, and what are you doing to, to really combat it or break the bias? Yeah, thanks. I, I think this is sort of the, the key to the problem solving is trying to articulate and actually acknowledge that we all have it in one form or shape. We all are unconsciously biased. And it's not only in the tech industry, it, it's in, in our everyday life. And, and de-biasing people's minds has proven to be really, really difficult. And I can just take for myself, for instance, I was, you know, I can... I, and I hate that I do this, but if I picture CNO, CEO, it pops up a man in my head. Why is that? How is that possible? And with all the, you know, the education I have, with all the experience I've had, why is that still happening? Well, because we just need to realize that these things happen to us and it happens to our colleagues and in our families and in our friends. Um, so that by just acknowledging that it exists is the way to sort of turn around the problem into an opportunity, I think. And one of the things that, you know, I like to do, and I, 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 I'm so encouraged when I see this, is when you call it out. You, you ask the questions, are we being biased in these decisions? And we do that in the leadership team I belong to. I do that towards my leaders. We, we ask the question, and it's super important to dare to ask, ask the question. And it also has to be an environment where the response is, yeah, I think we were, uh, because then you can actually do something about it. Yeah? Uh, so it, it's a topic that has to be addressed. And the other thing that we can do things really well is to be fact-based. And now we're in that space, I think, where we're actually getting access to a lot more data. So we can't just talk about... You know, I think it's like this, or you know, maybe the, maybe the stats would tell. You know, we have the stats, and I'm thinking about um, people analytics, for instance. I have tools that show if me or my organization is making um, sort of unbiased decisions. It could be, for instance, that 
you know, when we're doing salary setting or when we're distributing uh, bonuses, I could see with analytics if we are actually making the wrong choices. So somebody can actually challenge me back. And that's another thing. Always ask somebody, always invite somebody to challenge you. Look at the facts and, and let someone actually challenge you back. Are you being biased? Are you unconsciously being biased? Because people want to do good, but sometimes it just happens. And that's what we got to get rid of, that it just happens because it's not okay that it just happens. So I think there are, um, you know, I think there are a lot of things that we can do now just by having, a, you know, just talking about it and then looking at the facts and then doing things about it. I, I love that, Eva. I think it was, it is really, really important to acknowledge that all of us are biased and unless we know and accept that fact and we cannot really break it. We cannot really do anything against it until we are not acknowledging it. But um, Sally, what? how have you been combating the bias? Yeah, absolutely. I'd just love to add to this as well, because again, I think it's one of these areas that is sometimes a misconception, because we talk about the algorithm a lot, don't we? And around around AI and, and biases there. But there's actually, and we've touched on it really naturally, there's over 180, I think it's 188 human biases. So we need to look at it from all these perspectives. It's hugely, hugely important. And for me, combating this, you know, I wrote something recently that said that if you're not purposely advancing equity, you're probably allowing inequity to persist. I think that's hugely important. So that that has been talked about so far is massive and there's something called affinity bias and that means that effectively we tend to hire people um, that are similar you know and that creates a, a skew in hiring and that can be very implicit people aren't you know naturally conscious that they're even doing it but it exists so reaching out to a broader recruitment pool I think is really effective you know and looking at non-traditional routes as well because I always think again one of the perceptions about getting into tech career is that you might have had a very linear path you've gone you know say through a computer science background or whatever but actually so many people I know myself included you've had different aspects to your career different skills coming together and that can make a huge huge difference so reaching out in new places I think can be hugely important to that you know, universities apprenticeships but other things around community education and there's some great programs that a lot of companies at the moment are really reaching out about to help people develop new skills so I think that's hugely important too another thing I think works very well is the introduction of blind CVs so that is a great way to help negate the potential for gender discrimination, but other types of discrimination as, as well. And as, as we've said a lot, you know, a lot of this bias is unconscious. So do things like that can make a difference too. Um, and actually the use of AI itself done well can be a really interesting filtering system as part of that to identify biases. So again, just changing the narrative about, about, that, about, about that, it can be quite helpful too. Other things around um, addressing things around age, um, wage gaps, sorry, um, and also um, looking at things, um, it was mentioned about motherhood penalty right at the beginning as well. I've seen a lot of issues around that as well. So one example, women lose approximately 4% of their hourly earnings when they start a family. Um, so there's a lot of things we need to look at here in all different types of biases. So acknowledging them is the first place to start, but there are a lot of ways that we're seeing improvements already. So I just wanted to kind of highlight a few things that I've found very practical and that blind CV one is a great one. Yes, yeah, Sally, can you imagine no names and no pictures on the CV or resume? Exactly, exactly, absolutely. <laughs> because I think the name, that, that can trigger a bias as well. 
I've been involved in a research project um, that we actually did that to see the difference and actually changing your name. We've seen that in authorship as well. You know, we talked to books right at the introduction and I've, I've known people who have changed their name to a male name and exactly the same manuscript. So they've got a very different result. So, yeah, it is. It is. You know, there's, there's fact based behind that particular statement. Absolutely. Yes. Wow. I think it is a really, really amazing point. And um, I've been also reading up on uh, the different biases in the hiring process. And I think it, it has been in different cultures and different places, just the picture, the color, the name, where the name was originated from actually created so many biases. And uh, I was reflecting on that one that this is so not right it's not really providing equal opportunities and the first step is really understanding the biases that we have also like hiring managers I think we really really have that responsibility and as you pointed it out earlier Sally is hiring someone who's totally diverse or totally different and what are the new skill sets or um, uh, that they would bring into the team I think that should be the most important thing in the hiring process, but that's a, di- a totally different topic. And I think we have so, I've prepared so many questions, but before I get to the next one, for the listeners who have been joining just now, um, thank you so much for joining. Today we are discussing women in tech and how to break the bias. And if you uh, have any quotes from any of the speakers that you would like to share as a tweet, please do that. And also use the hashtag Ericsson Chat so we can also see and come back to you and reply later. So thank you so much for joining. Um, and my next question, what I would really like to, to discuss is the role of mentorship sponsorship or allies and role models and the visibility of them. And I can also see that we have some amazing allies in the list uh, with the listeners. So if you would like to also share as an ally that how do you support women and breaking the bias, please just let me know when I bring you up as a speaker, because I think it's also really, really good to hear as many voices as we can. So who would like to start with uh, the mentorship, sponsorships and and the role of allies? Well, I didn't want to be first again, but since nobody else said anything, I jumped right in. You are the fastest <laughs> before muting, Diana. <laughs> well, uh, yes, you are right. We have some amazing people on the call. I mean, of course, um, there's Eva from Ericsson and Eva before we get off, or Eva before we get off this call I definitely would like to hear from you about what the benefits of working at Ericsson are like for you I mean because you're there in it every day what's it like as a woman as a parent as a human being um, all of that and then also I have another Eva who's a very dear friend of mine who's on the call she goes by Eva Smart AI and she's here in the Twitter space right now. And she does an amazing job um, working in tech every day. And she's um, amassed just a phenomenal way of getting her voice heard on Twitter. So I don't know if she feels like popping into this, but would love to hear from her as well. But for me, the role of mentorship and having allies in the tech industry has played a critical role in my success. And it can also play a huge role, I think, in closing the diversity and inclusion gap. Um, I don't think we're going to solve the problem by just telling women to get better at their jobs. You know, it doesn't work that way. The problem itself is much deeper. So even just having one ally 
in, in a male-dominated company or office makes a huge difference. And that ally can be male or female. I mean, just having someone look out for you and, you know, open doors, even if they're small doors, you know, it can make a really big difference in the overall perception and culture in a company. And I was actually the other day, I was thinking about, you know, what's coming ahead for me and my career. And I want to become more of a mentor myself. I think one of the best advantages of being a woman in tech is the ability to make a positive difference. And being a mentor is a way to do that. It's, it's almost feels like a social responsibility to me. So I, I just think it's so important. And I couldn't agree more with that. I, I'm going to jump in. I, I my, my my phone went funny now. I couldn't get in on that, so I'm so sorry. But uh, I'd love to. I love what you just said, Diana. I think that's absolutely spot on. And that move to active mentorship I was talking about early, being an active sponsor, really putting other people forward. You know, because another thing that that all the research backs up. For example, looking at promotions, going to a new job opportunity. It's been found consistently that if you're female, there's a most instinctive need to feel you've got to tick off kind of 95% plus of every characteristic or description that's put in that advert to apply for it. Um, and if you're male, it's more like 60%. So again, being a sponsor, identifying in another person and saying, Do you know what, I think you should go for that and helping people to see what their different experiences could add to that particular role. You can make a huge difference to someone. Um, and the other thing I wanted to mention as well is about role model visibility. That's an imperative, I think, to helping to close these gaps. It can help people to feel curious, to feel confident, to say, Do you know what, I could do that too. And making that really accessible to people is, is important too so one thing i wanted to flag so this is with my non-profit that i run aspirational futures we have a program called 365 that they even been on as well which, which is awesome um, and that's all about raising that visibility so we interview people you know right across c-suite operational roles but also kids who've done like an amazing project with a ford you know a ford 40 printing 3d printing you know in their own kitchen with a hospital with a hospice even amazing things that show what you can do with technology and how your skills your experience can make a difference so I really wanted to mention that because not only the visibility of role models but making them accessible and relatable to you where you're where you are you know whether you're eight whether you're 18 you're 40 you're 80 tech can make a real difference in your life so that for me is an important point as well just reaching out to people and helping you think yes I can do that too and also sharing experiences when you've had, had a difficult moment in your career as well and creating safe spaces where people can talk about that so rather than it being the thing that would you know put you off and make you not go for forward to do something again actually it can be a turning point and help you to go forward so those safe spaces matter too and social media actually can be an amazing kind of community of practice where you can connect with people who've got similar interests you can share experiences and I've ended up doing a lot of informal mentoring off the back of you know chats that you've had there or off the back of speaking at events or whatever so never be afraid to reach out is the key message I wanted to mention to people there because nine times out of ten if you ask someone for their advice or for help you'll get a positive answer and frankly if they didn't they weren't really the right person to speak to so never be afraid to ask that's what I wanted to say on that one that's great I I, I agree uh, Dr. Sally it's it's uh, you know we, we really need to talk a lot more together and I, I one of the things that we do I mean diversity is an important topic for Ericsson uh, and it is it is you know it's it's something that we talk about it's it's uh, you know we obviously have a gender gap so it's, it's a problem for us and we're addressing it. What I'm doing um, specifically is when I visit, I mean, as I said before, we have, uh, you know, we have 
colleagues in 180 countries. So when I travel to meet with our R&D sites or uh, other types of uh, sites in India or Athlone or in Japan or whatever uh, the travel takes me, I, I make it uh, my priority to gather the female talents. Uh, I want to see and talk to them. I want to understand uh, what what's limiting them from applying to certain roles or being identified to certain roles. And I think it was uh, you, Diana, Diana uh, who mentioned the visibility part, right? And I, um, we can help other women to actually recognize each other, push each other, challenge each other to go for those roles that are a little bit out of their comfort zone. And I think those, uh, it's, it doesn't always need to be so complicated. It doesn't need to be a huge mentoring program. It can be a WhatsApp group like we created for um, our colleagues in, 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 on a site in India. So they, are, they now have a WhatsApp group where they are giving the, each other advice. This job is coming up. This um, a great uh, you know, role for you is coming up. Uh, you know, let's, let's go for it together or we challenge you to go for this role and we'll support you. And it's been a real positive momentum. And I think just giving each other that visibility is really, really strong. Another point I want to make that I think we could reflect upon, because mentorship, I agree. Mentorship is something that has helped me. It's one of the key things that have taken me to the position I am today. And it's not only mentorship for senior people above me, if you may. It's also mentorship from, uh, you know, young female talent or even male, female, uh, male talent who have helped me to get perspective, both on how to become a better leader towards the younger generation, guiding me to become a better leader. Listening to that 360 view around you is super important, both when you're a mentor, but also when you're receiving a mentorship. And I think now what I have reflected upon a lot more is how do I move myself from mentoring to really sponsoring, advocating for women, ensuring that they get the space they deserve, that they are top of mind, even if they're not in the room. And here are things that I also think we can all help out with, becoming sponsors and advocates. You know, Eva, just to piggyback on something you said when you were saying how women support each other on a daily basis, it reminds me of something that uh, they used to do in the Obama administration, where they just had this thing where the women were always supporting each other. So in a meeting, if a woman presented an idea, then another woman would chime in, repeat the idea and kind of get some, you know, conversation going about it. And they were always right there, just ready to back each other up. And that was something that just became known that it happened in, in those meetings. And I just think that's such a, a great way to go about it too. Fully agree. It's giving um, more voices to to that perspective. I, I, I agree. It's a great small tool, but it makes a huge difference. Thank you so much. Um, I'm just so enjoying this discussion. I think it's so important to share the different experiences, the tips, and also the journey. I think you made really, really great points, Eva, that uh, we cannot make, drive the change just by being ourselves but being open being uh, listening how we can also grow as leaders and be a, a better mentor a better ally a better sponsor and supporting each other along this journey 
My next question, what I would really like to discuss with you is that, is this the time now that we move beyond STEM to STEAM? And how can we help to inspire more diversity in this space? And I know that you are super passionate about this topic, uh, Sally. So you might want to kick off with uh, your thoughts around this topic. I'd love to. I, I must admit, I, I switched the mic on mega early for that one. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, I, I must admit, and I'll, I'll acknowledge my own bias on the answer to this one. It's a huge, huge yes from me. You know, I, I think this move to STEAM, um, for anybody who hasn't been familiar with that term, it's basically putting an equal value across, you know, the traditional STEM skills, but adding in the arts and saying effectively, these are all really complementary. One serves the other. So for me, it's that, that combination of you need that creative confidence, that creative imagination, things like emotional intelligence, problem solving skills, empathy, you need all that combination alongside then, you know, to imagine the future, imagine what you want to do, and then the tech, tech skills, tech disciplines to help build out and actualize that. So they're highly complementary. You know, I've been concerned for a while that we're almost having a lost generation around, around the arts and that form of expression. And actually, when we look at what's happening at the moment, and we talk about agile organizations a lot, don't we? But we need agile teams and we need agile individuals as well. So I talk to people, you know, about building this toolbox, this toolbox of skills that you can dip into. And that's the best way to be able to help to you know, cope with this, this rising pace of change that we have at the moment. You've got all these different things to, to work on and to build on. So I think they're hugely important for the future and will help a lot, a lot of people. Um, so that's what we do. You know, I, I run programs around STEAM learning and I think they're hugely, hugely significant for the future. So yeah, huge, huge advocate for that. And again, I think it helps to change the narrative about what skills are involved in a tech career. You know, when I go into, into school, for example, there's still sometimes a, a misconception that, for example, coding is, is the one route into tech. And obviously, with the rise of low code and no code, for example, that's changing in of itself in any case. But what I want to stress is there's so many skills that can make a difference in this role. You look at all the skill sets in a team to address a particular project. So many different things can be involved in that. So they all have value. And equally, these different skills within tech projects can be used in so many different sectors you know, for, for additional business outcomes, but for societal ones as well. And you know, a lot of a lot of kids in particular you know gen z or gen z depending on where you're coming from they absolutely love that to think you know what i can develop skills here and i can use it around climate change i can use it around different sdgs they're so so passionate about that which is amazing to see so yeah i think this investment in steam is the one of the best ways to to be skills confident to the future and that's the other point i'd love to make as well skills accessibility is hugely significant but also the confidence to apply them as well and i think sometimes that gets left behind when we're talking about education so another thing i'd recommend for people is to look into things around metacognition and it's kind of like we talk about smart tech don't we this is kind of about smart thinking and smart learning and it helps people to identify their own learning style you know some people are particular linear learners some people kind of bite-sized chunks i know when i'm doing like a keynote I'm, I'm waving my arms around i get really really passionate and i like that type of style as well that kinetic style so all of those are equally right, but it's helping people identify what's right for them. And AI, funnily enough, could be a really good good helper for that. But yeah, I wanted to kind of bring those things to the fore. So definitely for me, STEAM is key. Um, and there's a survey I've been running on Twitter and LinkedIn, where I think we've had about 20,000 votes in total so far. And that prioritization around EQ or emotional intelligence is really, you know, it's getting a lot of resonance. People are really starting to recognize that that's actually a foundation for all these other skills. So, um, and I know Diana, we've been talking about this offline as well, so I'm sure you'd like to come in on this one, but it's really, really interesting. I'm just really glad this is resonating with so many people now. Yeah, Sally, that LinkedIn poll that you have going is 
hot. <laughs> there are so many comments on there. It's, it's great to see. But yeah, I think the beauty of Steam is that it allows people to use, uh, you know, like, just like what you were saying, the hard and soft skills to solve problems. Somebody asked me a while back to give an example of, of what that would be like, like an actual example. And I said, well, Imagine a group of people collaborating to create a beautiful NFT based on perfectly scaled geometric shapes coming together, right? It's like the best of both worlds. This, I kind of like to call it creative science, you know, but um, yeah, I love it. Totally agree with everything you're saying, everything. Thank you. <laughs> Maybe I can uh, comment a little bit. I, 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 I think we as an industry or, or us being um, a big company in tech, uh, I, I, we need to start thinking about the narrative around how, you know, what happens in a tech company? What happens when you're working with tech? And I, and I think there's a misperception uh, early on that, you know, you would be just coding or just doing this or... But it's really a combination between, of course, business decisions, um, sales, you know, all of these parameters coming together to make sure that the technology that is in the foundation of a tech company comes to life. And many times, you know, a big skill is for us to be able to invest in the right time for a product. And that's not just tech. It's about business acumen. It's about understanding financial metrics combined with tech. So uh, there's, you know, I, I think we, we, we need to be able to look together and, and really change a bit of the narrative to attract um, high tech individuals, but also a combination of, of other professionals into the, um, into the industry and, and really feel that, you know, they can make a difference because they are, we are. Uh, and on top of that, right, um, I mean, we're worried about the funnel coming in, about having enough uh, STEAM sort of capable uh, people and, and skill sets coming into our industry. And, and, and it's important to start really, really early. And I, I agree with, with both you, Diana and, and Sally. It's, it's really a concern, not just for the tech industry, but for, for, for society in that sense, because a lot of the jobs of the future will be driven by technology innovation. We know that. And we know also that 65% of children entering primary schools today, they don't even know what jobs they're going to enter when they exit school. What jobs are they going to get? And of course, when we're creating the jobs of the future, we do not want only men or only women. We want a, a combination of minds coming together to create those jobs because that's going to be a really important part of the future. Eva, I totally understand that. And just to um, elaborate on what you said, I was reading a CNBC article yesterday, and it said that 38% of women in tech plan on leaving their jobs in the next two years. And I couldn't believe that. So I think that statistic really illustrates what you're saying about encouraging the next generation 
But also, I think it highlights the fact that it's not enough just to hire more women. We have to create a more inclusive workplace environment, even for remote workers, right, in order to retain those women. So we have to really address the reasons why women are leaving. So, but I guess we can save all that for another discussion, right, Anita? I don't want to get too far off topic. No, no, no. And actually, it's like, um, I I have so many questions, but now I'm also being cautious of time. And it's just like, I'm just really, really enjoying uh, all your insights and the discussion. So leading up to then, um, I think what I would really love to know is uh, that what do you think will happen in the next five years? Because just this statistic and the future of work is, again, like a, a, a huge topic and it really connects to the women in tech and how to break the bias. So what, what do you see and what do you think that will happen or the next five years will look like for women in tech? What is getting better and what is falling behind? What are the key focus areas where we can ensure inclusive workplaces uh, and really highlighting the, the role of uh, women in business and in the tech industry? Okay, I was not trying to jump in first. It's just that nobody else was talking. So I hit the mute button. Yeah, I was on I'm on speed dial here. What can I say? But um, I think that it is so much better now. I remember being in my 20s and having to deal with all that weird male female stuff in the workplace. And a lot of that is gone now. And hopefully that's not just because I'm getting old. Um, <laughs> hopefully uh, there's a reason for that. Hopefully the culture is changing. So I think the future is very bright. And on a positive note, I would just like to say that I feel like it's much easier for women who are passionate about tech to get into the industry now than when I started. And even though it's changing slowly, I, I do see change. I would come in on that as well to say kind of where I see the change we've, we've had, particularly over the last two years. And then when we can go to your question, Nita, about kind of the next five. So in terms of positive things, it's a bit like with sustainability. You know, we've, we've got aspects around this focus on, on DEI moving beyond being on the periphery to becoming more embedded and baked in in organisational life, which is fantastic. So we are seeing that cultural change, that embedding I mentioned around hiring, around retention. And I'm also starting to see as well, but for me, I kind of use it term sphere of influence where organizations are using that to try and help change stakeholder groups you know for example putting different conditions into organizations they would work with um, if they're putting a tender out or as part of that you know that the kpis etc as well so we're seeing organizations asking more of others in their ecosystem partners their supply chain and also lots of really good things in the education space as well you know what, what podcast i've got coming out today was awesome about this it was i was talking to a young lady who had been furloughed during the pandemic and also spoke to somebody who had set up a program in a large enterprise organization so i saw it from both sides and her experience her kind of her you know fear at first to be completely honest about pressing that button to click to commit to put herself forward for this program because she had no background in tech and cloud specifically
heavily, which is what this was about. But she spoke to one person, that one person who gave her the confidence to say, yes, I could do that. And she did it. And she did this 12-week program. And it's completely changed. She's now a solution architect. And it was an amazing story. And sharing those make a difference. And that educational outreach, you know, organisations partnering with educational partners, developing their own programmes in-house. I'm seeing a big change around that, which is fantastic to see. And I think going forward, and also support support groups like SIGs in organisations as well, broader based mentorship programmes. So you're pairing an experienced employee with newer recruits. That's really good, really effective as well. For me, one of the bigger changes I want to see going forward is, you know, measurement. You know, measurement really, really matters in all forms of kind of social impact. So if we can have DEI metrics that carry an equal weight to financial ones, you know, right from team level, right through to say C-suite remuneration, that I think is a huge accelerator for change and really embedding, you know, transparency, commitment and accountability to inclusion in all its forms. Um, and also looking at neurodiversity in more detail as well, because I sometimes think that's get less behind in the conversation. So, yeah, that's my, my kind of starter for 10 on kind of where we are now, what's changed and hopefully where's next. I think being fact based is is uh, it's, it's a real game changer because you can't really fight against the numbers you know you can argue but you can't really win if the numbers exactly. are telling you something else right and uh, I, I have a positive outlook absolutely I think it's going too slow I, I would like to see it go much faster in the next five years I would like that exponential curve to happen I'm not seeing it yet but I am absolutely positive and there are the good signs and what are the good signs besides what you already shared now um, I foresee I mean I can make it just a personal reflection. I do like that we are investing and putting, you know, money behind accelerating women. I think that's a really, really strong way to go. But it's not the only way to go. And when I was young in my career, uh, you know, I was invested in and it was fantastic. I was really appreciated. But I kept on investing because, you know, I needed to be more forward-leaning or I had to be more courageous or I had to be and I you know more self-confident I was all that already then I didn't need to become more so at one point in time I stood up in front of my male colleagues and I said you do not need to fix me I'm actually okay <laughs> but now it's time for you to educate and, and look into your unconscious bias or you know how can you help what what tools do you need to become uh, you know, a good leader in a more uh, gender-friendly world, if you may. And I think that conversation uh, that we, we had then in that discussion was so good. And those discussions now happen. And it's when we talk about the problem, when we see the problem, when we call out the problem, which I see we do today, that's when we're going to see the change. And I'm, I, you know, it's almost like you can start to touch it now. I just like to see it a little bit stronger in the numbers. Thank you so much. And, and I think it's, uh, I, I just got inspired that maybe our next uh, Ericsson chats should be about the future of work, because I think that is really, really important. Um, how we prepare as an organization and, and how we can work with each and every individual that do they like to work remotely or what are they working. But uh, besides that, so I, ha I, I have my next uh, Twitter chats and, uh, and Ericsson chats. Thank you so much for joining. Now I would like to really open up for the listeners that do you have any questions to our amazing panelists? 
anything that you would you haven't had the chance or we didn't cover when it comes to women in tech, when it comes to breaking the bias, and you would like to ask from them? Just raise your hand and I will add you as a speaker. No questions, everyone is too shy. All right, but then if we don't have any questions, uh, Sally, Diana and Eva, are there anything else that I didn't ask from you and you think that is so important to highlight as kind of like closing notes? Could I do a little shout out if that's okay? It's, it's just, to, just to give a little bit of a, of, a, of a hint of something that's completely non-for-profit, which is around a scholarship um, that I was working on last week in, in Brussels. And so it's kind of like, if you know anyone, either yourself, a family member, a friend, any, anyone in your kind of circle who would be interested in developing STEAM skills. So it's technology specific, so around AI and cloud, et cetera, but also around the skills I mentioned earlier. So about empathy, emotional intelligence, confidence and communication skills, all of these kind of things in the round if you know anyone who might benefit from that there's a program launching very very soon um that yeah you'll be hearing about quite soon but I, i'm technically not meant to talk about it just yet but, but i can't resist it so yeah if you know anyone who you think would, would be able to help with that please feel free to, to get in touch because i'd love to be able to um, put, you know, give that opportunity to them so yeah please get in touch about that so yeah i'll, I'll mention that if that's okay later Absolutely. I think whatever we can support is, is definitely something. So thank you so much for the shout out. Pleasure. Uh, we have um, Yeti, if I pr pronounce your name correctly, if not, that is really my apologies. Please introduce yourself and, and I believe you would like to ask a question. Yes. Hi, good afternoon to all. My name is actually Yatunde Tillerson. And I just have a question as a person that's into healthcare right now that is trying to break into tech. I wanted to know what advice you guys would like to give to somebody going from being in healthcare and breaking into tech, going into customer service management, because I do have customer service um, background. So I just wanted to know what kind of advice you guys would like to offer to somebody breaking into tech without no degree and such, no experience and such things like that. Oh, can I jump in on that one? For sure. Oh, okay. Um, thank you for your question. And I will just say that, um, first of all, oh, gosh, there's so much advice I could give. I love advice. But the first thing I would say is don't be afraid of your tech. A lot of, a lot of people, women in specific, they won't tinker. I call it tinkering, right? They won't tinker around on their computer or their phone because they don't want to break anything. Break as much as you can. And then figure out how to fix it. And that will take you so far in technology because in the technology industry, you've really got to step outside your comfort zone every day. And it sounds so cliche, but if you play it safe all the time, you'll miss out on discovering some useful solutions. It'll be harder to stand out. People won't notice you as much. You've, you really can't do the play it safe. And what that means is, you won't know how to do everything before you start. And I, I don't know if healthcare is like this, but I have a feeling that in healthcare, you get so much training and you're applying your training to what you're doing. But in technology, it's not like that. You're not going to know how to do things before you start. And that's okay. And a lot of technology involves troubleshooting 
with trial and error. So sometimes you go down one path only to find you have to turn around and approach it from a completely different way. I have spent weeks on a project and then realized, oh, no, I went down the wrong path. Well, that's okay. I learned a lot in that two weeks. You turn the corner and you take it on another way and then you will find the answer. And most importantly, in technology, don't take yourself too seriously. Keep your sense of humor. Keep using emojis. <laughs> Have fun with it. Trust me, you need the humor. Um, just, yeah, just, just keep your sense of humor. And uh, that's all. That's my advice. Yeah, I love that. The banter matters. I totally agree with that. The, the other thing I would say is never be afraid to think that coming from one background is a disadvantage coming to another you know, from a different sector. Actually, it can be a huge, huge benefit, that diversity of experience. And I would turn that the other way because, again, you know, when I'm talking to people about when they're applying for things, use those differences, use those different experiences. It's a thing that sets you apart. It so, so matters. And the other thing is I'm really aware of something in the healthcare space. I've done quite a lot in AI and blockchain in the healthcare space in the past. And and there are a couple of programs available right now that sound like they could be a good fit for what you're doing. So if you want to DM me, you know, after after the session, I'll send you the details of that as well. But it sounds like it could be a really good alignment for, for where you are and where you want to go. So be very happy to help you with that. Thank you so much. I really appreciate all of you guys' advice. Thank you, Women in Tech. Oh, thank you. Oh, I've got to say one more thing. You know how a lot of times as women, we grow up with the idea that we just kind of have to sit still and be polite. If you are in a technology sphere with a bunch of alpha males, oh, girl, you got to put yourself out there. <laughs> that whole sit still, look pretty mentality is a really hard way to go in technology. So just kind of piggybacking on what Sally said, don't be afraid to put yourself out there. Don't feel like you're at a disadvantage because you have a different background. Just go for it. Thank you, Diana. Um, and we are closing up to an hour. Um, we weren't sure if it's going to be 45 minutes or an hour, but uh, I just really, really enjoyed the discussions. And I, uh, my name is Anita Vasily again, um, Director of Social Media and Advocacy for Ericsson. I just quickly went through the hashtag Ericsson chats, and I'm so impressed with all the great quotes and takeaways that um, people have been uh, posting. So thank you so much, Sally, Diana, and Eva for joining the discussion. Please make sure that if you haven't had a chance to ask your question, or is there something that you would like these three amazing females to reply to a question or anything from, from the Ericsson branded handle, please make sure to use the hashtag Ericsson chat as the question. The other thing that I would really love to know that if we're gonna host the next uh, Twitter spaces or organizing Twitter chats, what are the top topics that you would like us to talk about and create these safe spaces for discussion? So I would really love to have that. And thank you so much again for spending an hour of your time with us. And again, Sally, Diana and Eva, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. <laughs>